What's up? Welcome to Faith and Other F-Words Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Martin. I'm a corporate hustler, wellness coach, and honestly, just a girl tired of seeing faith misappropriated. So let's change that. Think of us sitting on my couch, drinking wine, having those deep, raw, intellectual combos only have with your closest, smartest girlfriends. No scripture verses, no condemning, no regurgitation of doctrine. Believe me, I'm still trying to figure it out too. But at the end of the day, I know it's these combos that bring us closer to discovering and fulfilling the freaking purpose God's placed into your soul. You ready to drop some F words? Let's go. Thanks so much for being patient as I release today's episode. This week has been very hectic and heavy, as you can see from the title of this episode. Death is something that all of us have to go through, and that's something I'm currently dealing with now. Uh, And it's not easy to share and be vulnerable like this, but I feel it's so necessary as I'm going through my own mess to be able to share it with you because I know that you're going through your own things too and we need to have these kinds of combos. So I hope that you enjoy today's message, emphasis on the mess, uh, and you know it, that it helps you because it's helping me and it's, it's how I have been able to cope with various deaths and and not just the after, but really the during, uh, knowing that someone is passing is, is always heavy and difficult. And yeah, so th- this is what has worked for me. Uh, I hope that this helps you. I know it's not our typical fun subjects, but uh, yeah, hashtag real life. So enjoy. You know, one of the things that I have a weird, healthy relationship with is death. I know. It's one of those topics that makes us all very uncomfortable and it comes with a lot of questions, particularly about the afterlife. And that's not something that I'm going to go deep into, but I do want to share with you why this is relevant right now and kind of set the backstory for you. So currently my uncle is um, suffering or dying from stage four brain cancer. And he has been struggling with this for the last year or so. And this week, I've realized that we are entering the final stages of his life. And this, for anybody, is very traumatic and sad and difficult and comes with a lot of layers. But for our family, it comes with even more layers than your average sickness or illness in a family in that... um, My dad's relationship with his brother has been difficult and everybody has a family member like this or a relationship like this where you have a loved one where something has happened and there is a rift in the family or an estrangement of some sort. And now that we realize that he had brain cancer, it was evident that there was a tumor that was putting pressure on a part of his brain that caused anger and impulse control and it it really changed his personality um or added to his personality and it's difficult to care for a loved one when they have had a very tumultuous relationship with their family and the situation for us was that with my uncle and it's interesting to now see my aunt and my dad 
rekindle the relationship and how death really actually allows us to be more present, to be more alive while we're living. And I will paint the picture that occurred today. I think, gosh, it may have been, it's probably been 10 years, 15 years since I've seen my dad, my aunt, and my uncle all be in the same room speaking to each other in a way that is loving, kind, authentic, and vulnerable. It's always been, like I said, very tumultuous. And I'm sure you have somebody in your family like this too. Everyone has a relationship like this in their family where, you know, for very many years, people have been unkind to each other or just not really seen eye to eye. And today my dad went over and saw my uncle and gave support to my aunt and just told his brother, just said, you know, I know you're going to be taking a flight soon because he was a flight attendant his whole life. And he said, I know you're going to be taking a flight soon. You're going to get on a 737 or 637. I don't know the number of the flight, but, or the aircraft, but my dad just basically framed it in the metaphor of a flight and said, you know, I can't join you on this because I've still got things to do here, but make sure that when you get there, that you say hi to our great grandfather, you know, say hi to Jack for us. And, and, you know, everyone's there waiting for you. They're all going to be, be there when you arrive, they're going to welcome you. So don't be fearful. And to witness somebody on their deathbed be comforted by a sibling that they had not had a loving, kind, open, vulnerable relationship with for 30 plus years is quite magical. It's really a beautiful moment to see two humans who have had a lot of hatred towards each other be brought together by the end of life, you know, by by having death knocking. And it's also sad, right? It's sad to see people who are great not see the beauty or not see eye to eye or not see eye to eye with each other until it's kind of too late, right? I mean, it's beautiful that they are able to have this moment and to have that today and to witness it. it was just great. It was so beautiful to see the healing and the forgiveness. And my dad and I had a conversation last night and my dad said, okay, I, you know, I'm really going to pray about it. I'm really going to prepare for this. And then today, all of the stars aligned, and it was actually exactly when my dad needed to go over there. It was exactly when my aunt needed the support of my dad. And it was exactly when my uncle, I think, was prepared to rekindle and repair and heal this relationship. And I took a picture of it, and it is the most beautiful thing, because my uncle's laying there, my aunt is on the left-hand side, and my dad was on the right-hand side, and... They were just exchanging all kinds of, you know, end of life kind of words. And my aunt puts her hand on my uncle's head. And, you know, they're just saying, like, I love you. And, you know, just don't be fearful of what's to come. And my dad comes across the bed and my dad puts his hand on the shoulder of my aunt while my aunt is touching my uncle. And it's just this beautiful moment of a waterfall of physical touch and physical support that was beautiful to witness after having this crazy relationship and having witnessed and honestly mediated it a lot of my life. So today was this pivotal moment of seeing them all heal. And it gave me a lot of peace to see them 
have forgiveness, have understanding, and have peace so that when he leaves, both parties, I think, feel that connection and that love and that support. But I also found it to be such a great lesson that I have gotten to learn by witnessing this. Because the truth is, is that everyone knows they're going to die, but nobody really believes it. If we did, we would do things differently. I think we kind of kid ourselves about death. And one of my favorite books ever is called Tuesdays with Maury. It's about a professor who has ALS and he is on his deathbed. And his alumni student who has become a writer begins visiting him on Tuesdays. And Maury, the professor, shares with him wonderful lessons about gratitude and living and just all of the things that you would probably contemplate on your deathbed. And in this book, I really learned the concept of life and death and not just like, oh, yeah, dying and living, but really truly understanding what that means. One of my favorite quotes is, once you learn how to die, you learn how to live. I know it's a tricky one. Once you learn how to die, you learn how to live. Moore basically tells his student that there's a better approach to death. It's the idea of knowing that you're going to die and being prepared for it at any time. That's the better way of doing it, is to actually be more involved in your life while you're living. If you are actively prepared for death at any moment, I mean, just think about that. If you you were actively preparing for death instead of thinking of it at, as this thing that's going to occur when you're 90 years old and old and gray, but what if we all lived as though we were going to die from, you know, age five and up? It would change, I think, our, our ways of living completely. I think so many of us take life for granted in, in various ways, whether that's time or that's resources or it's assuming that we have the liberty of getting to that thing later. But if we thought we were going to die, getting to that thing would become much more of a priority, right? So that's the concept in this. And he describes that Buddhists do this. They say, every day I have a little bird on your shoulder that asks, is today the day? Am I ready? Am I doing all that I need to do? Am I the person that I want to be? Is today the day that I die? Because he goes on to describe that most of us are walking around as if we're sleepwalking. We don't really experience the world fully because we're half asleep, doing things we automatically think we have to do. And when you face death, that, that all changes, right? You strip away all of the stuff that you have and you focus on the essentials. When you realize you're going to die, you see everything much differently. This idea that if you learn to die, you learn to live, right? And for me, I've gotten to witness my great-grandmother pass, my grandfather, my other grandmother, and I've had the privilege and pleasure of caregiving for my mom and seeing how important health is and how mobility impacts us. And I've just really 
I see it as such a gift to have been able to witness all of this so that I can take those learnings and apply it to fully living in my life now. And so when I feel death approaching or death suddenly hits, whether it's a friend, an acquaintance, a loved one, I have this acceptance because I know the gift that death allows us to have, right? It's this moment that was designed to to show us polarity. Without these low lows, we can't experience the high highs. And because of that awareness, I've been able to receive that gift and then apply it. And while it's incredibly difficult and emotional, and when it happens that that my parents go, it's going to be the most tragic day of my life, but I have lived the current life and the current moments that I have with my loved ones as if they're going to die, even though everyone's healthy and fine right now. But that has been such a gift. And I think that sharing this with somebody who, you know, maybe it's your grandma or maybe it's your aunt or maybe it's your husband or just somebody close to you, or maybe it's just somebody that you are not that close with and it's a difficult time. Maybe you even feel a little bit guilty that you don't care or you're not that emotional. All of those things are okay and grief happens in various different ways. But I love this idea of being able to accept death so that you can accept living. And that to me gives me so much joy and so much so much of a different perspective on it. And that has allowed me to honestly understand God better and to understand life better. But I wanted to share with you guys a couple of things that are really helping me as I navigate through this difficult season with my family, um, as well as how I've done it in the past. So the first thing I have for you is to accept living and accept death and, and understanding those two things and this idea of learning to die to learn to live. If you haven't yet read Tuesdays with more Tuesdays with Maury, I cannot encourage that book enough. You will cry, you will laugh, you will just really feel this overwhelming gratitude and appreciation for the the gift that is our lives. Uh, and I will not bore you with reading it all here and spoil it. Go go read that book. I really recommend that. The second thing is to feel your feelings fully, feel the emotion to the very very top of that emotion and then detach and move on to the next emotion. That is the best advice I have ever read and ever heard. And it is a game changer because when you are in a stage of death and mourning and grieving, there are a lot of emotions and there are a lot of pieces and people and allowing yourself to feel completely helps you move on to the next emotion. And then the other thing is that it also helps you not stay in one emotion for too long. I think coaching and talking to yourself through the emotions is very helpful because it's very easy to get depressed or to get anxious or to get stuck in a particular emotion that you just don't really want to be in, right? And it also, when you don't want to be in an emotion for too long, it causes you to not be present in it. And that, I think, causes a lot of wishy-washiness, and that causes more overwhelm and more anxiety. And it's just like, uh, like I'm not supposed to be sad right now, but I am. And you like add more on than you need to be instead of just 
owning your feelings and having control over it and accountability into it and saying, you know what, I'm sad. I'm going to be sad for the next 20 minutes and then I'm going to move on to the next thing. And I think having that game plan makes it so much better than just erratically going into everything, but having a game plan and giving yourself permission to cry, to be sad, and then to be happy. It's okay to be happy in a difficult season of life and then move back into a different emotion. So having that game plan is such a game changer. The next thing is to ask for what you need and to guide people on how to treat you with what you need. When it comes to death, when it comes to grieving, when it comes to caregiving, there's a lot of pieces, a lot of people, like I said, and there can also be a lot of boundaries that are either not met or overstepped. So I think it's easy to feel like you have to go above and beyond when it comes to grieving and caretaking and all of these things. But really at the end of the day, you need to do what is best for you and your mental health and to set boundaries. It's okay to say no. I know that's really difficult sometimes. Um, I have had to say it and, and I've had to push a little because I'm the type of person that can take a lot. And I have learned that if I say yes to everything, it doesn't allow other people the opportunity to step up. If you say yes to everything, you are not allowing other people the opportunity to step up. And while you may be able to do it all, it is not wise. Letting other people help and asking for help is essential, but you have to give people the guidance on how to do that. So some simple ways that you can do this is if let's say that you are the main caregiver or you are, you know, the main HBIC in this particular situation, uh, and you are going to go out with friends, and you just don't want to talk about it. Send your friends a text message before you go out and be like, hey guys, I really appreciate all of your support and concern, but tonight I just want to be carefree and I don't want to talk about it. So tell me a joke or give me some gossip or, uh, you know, I I will give you the update later on when I'm ready to talk about it, but right now I don't want to. That's one way that you can tell people how to treat you. Another is if you are chatting with family members or friends and you need help with something, ask for it. You know, send out a text message, send out an email that says, hey guys, I could really use some help with meals or grocery shopping or taking out the trash. Or it would be great if you could get me a list of the top neurologists in the area, or it would be great if you could call XYZ for me, or it would be great. You just have to tell people what it is that you need from them so that they can help support you. And a lot of the times you may not know what that is. And sometimes it's just fine to say that, be like, you know what? I don't know what I need. So whatever you feel or you see that is helpful or needed, I would appreciate it. A lot of the times what happens that I have seen is that caregivers go into full-blown caregiving mode and they do not ask for help. They do not communicate because they are so overwhelmed or they are so paralyzed by either fear or anxiety or there's a lot of shame and guilt in asking for help. But if your loved ones or your friends and your family don't know what 
don't know what you need, it is difficult for them to help. So think about what it is that you need help with or how you want people to treat you and communicate that to them in a gentle, loving way. But also if it's not that gentle, it's 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 okay too, right? People know you're having a rough season and they will give you more generosity and kindness than you probably are expecting. Uh, but I think communication is the key on that. The last thing is to just lean into the hard, accept that it is a hard season and controlling what you can control is key. I always ask myself in tough seasons or seasons of grieving and death is what do I need to do to take care of me so that I can show up and take care of everybody else? And that's actually one of the things that is one of my strengths. It's one of my superpowers is I'm very good at making sure I can be a strong pillar for other people. But that came with a lot of practice. For me, that includes working out daily, getting out any negative energy and anxiety that is physically pent up in your body and getting a hit of dopamine, serotonin. That's why exercise is incredible. Eating well is how can I ensure that I'm putting good nutrients into my body so that I'm not getting hangry, having low blood sugar. All of those things really, truly matter. Athletes or warriors, before they're going into a race or a war or a competition, they're fueling their body. They're, they're moving physically. They are preparing for stress and adrenaline and nourishing their bodies with what it needs. So that, you know, taking care of your physical body and your physical health is very, very important. The next thing is mental, right? Getting a therapist, getting support, talking it out, journaling, praying, doing the things that you need mentally. Spiritually, I don't know what your faith choice is, but for me, when shit hits the fan, that's a great time for me to open up a devotional or the Bible and just kind of, or maybe a YouTube video from a pastor or, you know, anything having to do with my faith and seeing what can speak to me and just feeling comforted. Another thing I often overlook, but do regularly without really thinking about it is praying. Just like, thanks God. The amount of times I give God like praise and gratefulness is a multitude. I rarely ever ask God for things, but when I do ask for things, they're important. Uh, and I'm trying to get better at asking for things, but prayer is a great one too. Is just talking with God. Like, what's up, homie? I'm having a hard time right now. Please give me the strength to do this, or please help me be more calm. Or how can I show up the way that you need me to show up in this moment? Just little phrases and affirmations like that can be so helpful for your spiritual health. And then the last thing is when it comes to death and it comes to the afterlife. I'm not going to dive into that because that's a whole nother podcast. But for me, what has brought me so much comfort is to realize and know that there is a spectacular afterlife, that this time here, our souls are just kind of hanging out for a minute. We're doing whatever we need to do. And then the next part, it's going to be so freaking beautiful. There's a creator and a designer of this universe that has crafted something so beautiful. If you look at a sunset or you look at waterfalls or you just get in an airplane and you look above and you're in the clouds, like this earth, this universe is so freaking amazing and so freaking spectacular. The way that we heal like X-Men every time you get a cut is just 
mind-blowing to me. And to know that somebody, God, whatever name you have for our creator, designed something and crafted something so magical gives me so much peace and so much joy for what part two is going to be like. If you just think about it from a purely majestic artisan lens, I cannot imagine that it just ends abruptly and it's lights out. I mean, just from a logically speaking point of view, everything here is so damn cool. There's a lot of cool ass shit in this world. Like any National Geographic documentary where you see like penguins waddling or you see that, you know, birds flock all together. Like there's just so many cool things on this earth that it brings me incredible faith and hope for what is to come in part two. There can only be a magnificent next chapter that is coming next. It's a part two. It's not the end. It's that's why they call it the afterlife. Like like the after party. Everybody knows the after party is way better than the regular party. It's so much more fun. That's was that's what I think the next part is. So I just see death as so different. Having this lens and having this perspective has brought me a lot of comfort and excitement for what happens next. And having these tips and these I don't know, ideology about it makes death so much more beautiful to me and I really appreciate it. So that is what is going to be working for me as I move forward. And I hope that this does something for you. If you're going through something now, you are in the heart of somebody dying or maybe your grieving is, is understanding the polarity of it all. And also knowing that you're allowed to have all of the emotions. You are allowed to be angry. You're allowed to have questions. But I just encourage you to explore it and to let that curiosity, let that anger, let that discontent fuel you for knowledge of answers and to really dive into conversations with God, dive into your faith, dive into what that really means for you. And, and just know that whatever you stumble upon is going to be the right answer. So with that, I hope you have a wonderful day and you just enjoyed this, this little snippet of, of what I think works well for dealing with death and living a life that is completely alive.